The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, of all the challenges you face as a leader, guess what? <laughs> Working with people is one of the best things you do and one of the hardest things you do. So how do you hire the right talent? What do you look for? What's happening in the job market and a whole lot more? William Vanderblumen is on the podcast today. This episode is brought to you by my free PDF, 42 Things You Can Say No To in 2024. If you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, hey, I can help. I've got 42 things that will save you up to 100 hours next year. That's four days worth of time. To get the guide, go to kerryneuhoff.com slash 2024. And today's episode is brought to you by 10 by 10. Visit tenx10.org, 10by10.org to access free resources you and church leaders can use to minister to young people. So William Vanderblumen and I sit down. We talk about, he was the first one a couple years ago when he was on the show to call the great resignation. I hadn't thought about it. And of course that became a thing. Uh, We will touch on why that's over, where the balance of power is sitting between employers and employees, and a lot of updates about the job economy. And then we're going to look at some of the top characteristics you want in what William calls unicorn team leaders, like who is the best? What are you looking for in a job interview? I've gotten it right sometimes. I've gotten it wrong sometimes. And you know what? There's a bit of mystery to it. We're going to demystify it for you a little bit today in the conversation. William Vanderblumen has been leading the Vanderblumen search group for 15 years where they are regularly retained to identify the best talent for teams, manage succession planning, and consulting on all issues regarding teams. This year, Vanderblumen will complete their 3,000th executive search. Prior to founding Vanderblumen, William studied executive search under a mentor with 25 years experience. His learning taught him the very best corporate practices. And prior to that, he served as a senior pastor of one of the largest Presbyterian churches in the United States. So it's good to have William back on the podcast. So let me ask you a question. How are you feeling heading into the last few weeks of the year? The truth is, most leaders feel overwhelmed. They feel overworked. They feel overcommitted. But strategic leaders... Well, that's different. They are not as stressed and they're spending their time on what brings them the best results. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and a bit overcommitted, or you want to optimize your routine for next year, I have a brand new free guide to help. It's 42 things you can say no to in 2024. I promise you saying no is one of the hardest disciplines that I have in my life. It's also one of the most liberating. In a few easy decisions, downloading this, you can free up to 100 hours. That's four days worth of time. Or if you look at it in a work week, well, you're probably closer to two and a bit work weeks of time you will save just by downloading this. So decide what you're not going to do in advance, and then you've got the time and energy to fulfill your purpose. Case closed. You can move on to get the guide. Visit the link in the description of this episode or go to kerryneuhoff.com slash 2024. That's kerryneuhoff.com slash 2024. Don't wait until January 1st. Get a jump on today. Click the link in the episode description. And I know you're passionate about the next generation. So am I. We talk about it all the time here. And that's why you need to check out 10 by 10. 
10x10 wants to equip leaders and ministries around relational discipleship that's radically focused on Christ. Through free, strategically created and curated resources, 10x10 aims to reconnect young people to a faith community and support the leaders that serve them. This has got broad support from a variety of denominations, urban and rural ministry, and a whole lot more. So if you want to check it out, 10 by 10 is working with a variety of people to reorient how to minister to young people. They've also got a personalized quiz and you can access their free resources today. So to do all that, go to 10by10.org to learn more. That's T-E-N-X-1-0. Take the personalized quiz and get access to their free resources designed specifically for you. And now, my conversation with William Vanderblumen. William, great to have you back, man. Oh, so good to be here. Good to hear your voice and see you face-to-face, and uh, your listeners are always the best. Well, we chat from time to time, and we've had some good conversations, but the last time you were on the podcast, you called the great resignation. I mean, you know, there's the headline right there. William Vanderblumen says, 2021 is going to be a year where a lot of people change jobs. And we didn't have a name for it, but you were right. Nice job. You and I had a conversation off mic recently. The job market is shifting again. Like, what are you seeing in the employment space right now? Because so many leaders are looking, I think the dust is settling. A lot yeah. of leaders, like if you made it this far, William, you're probably in for the next few years in your company. The dust is settling. People are still looking to hire. What is happening in the job market now? Well, so two things that I that are just top of mind when you ask the question. You always ask great questions. Um, one, if you're searching for talent right now and saying, this is harder than I remember, it is. Yeah. I, I have never... In 15 years of doing this and then 15 years of leading an organization before that as a senior pastor, I've never seen a more fickle pool of candidates. And and fickle is not wow. a derogatory term. It's not, I'm not Got dissing it. people. Yeah. It's just astounding to me how all the things that led to great resignation are leading to either, I guess, I guess you could say more thorough vetting of whether I'm going to take this job or not, or more fickle, well, I'll just go this way, I'll go that way. Uh, and, I, and I don't know, you know, I think the the pandemic accelerated some trends that were already beginning to happen. And mm. you can see, I mean, whether that's digital giving, or I mean, you name it, there's an acceleration of acceptance of new things. And one of the things that was starting to happen was average career tenure was going way down really fast. And not just I'm going to change jobs and go work at a different accounting firm. No, I think I'm going to go open a plant shop, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like that. And that's yeah. been happening. Not, not job changes, career changes, which I think should give, should give pastors out there some peace of mind if they're actually entertaining, like, maybe I can serve Jesus doing something different. You're not alone. This is going on a lot of places. Uh, of course, I would encourage you, if you're listening to this and it's Monday, don't quit on Monday. Yeah, that's why we uh, release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So you. there you go. We're not in a vulnerable day. <laughs> it used to be, Carrie, when we first started this and it was just me answering the phone, uh, yeah. I had a voicemail prompt that I, that I set up on Mondays that said, hi, it's Monday. Don't quit. Call me back later. And literally said <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. 
a number of pastors. I remember it. Right? You get done preaching, you've left everything out there, and then you get a, a comment on a social media about how you split an infinitive or dangled a participle or whatever, and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and you're down, and you're dro- droopy, and it's Monday anyway. So don't quit on Monday. But if you're, if you're feeling maybe it's a career switch, wow. And I bet right now there are people listening who are not in ministry, who are thinking career switch, I'd encourage you to explore that a little more. It might be something spiritual going on. Maybe you're mm. being called into something you haven't considered. So it, this fickleness is one thing that I'm seeing. Uh, the other thing that I'm seeing is the great resignation, for the most part, affected middle management and below jobs. Sure. Okay, You didn't see many C-suites. The number of C-suite executives that have resigned this year so far, as we're recording in early November, is 50% higher than all of last year. Wow. So it's almost like it's trickling up and people have seen all these other people leave and, and it's like, well, maybe I should consider leaving. So if you're, again, a lead pastor and you're so mad that your middle school director skipped out on you right before camp, which happens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and now you're feeling like maybe I should change posts. You're not alone. There's something going on, and and that's okay. I mean, people should. There's such a value in staying in ministry right where you are. The, the long enduring ministries are great, but I have to remind myself the reason Jesus' friends got mad at him, not Pharisees or Sadducees, but his friends got mad at him, was because he was going from town to town. He was going from village to village. They would lose him. Where is Jesus? Where would we put him? I don't remember. He's gone somewhere. Like, if you're feeling like a move, it's not necessarily unfaithful. It's one kingdom with many locations, not your one church mm-hmm. with many locations. So, you know, the Barna stat was, and it varied a few percentages, but 42% of pastors had seriously thought about leaving ministry, not just their church, but ministry in the previous 12 months. And, you know, what I was suggesting, and this is why I always love talking to you, because you've always got a really interesting view, is that maybe the great resignation was over, but you're saying, no, it's not? Or what are, what are you saying exactly? Yeah, well, I'm saying, I'm seeing a couple things. So, so when I talk about great resignation, we're talking about every job vertical everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I see a fickleness in recruiting that's making search harder than ever. People mm-hmm. don't even, like, they call us to do a search for them at a church. It's, we don't even get asked the questions before. It's like more like, please, can you come help us? This is so hard. Mm. Um, that's, that's across every industry. The, the trend that upper management is now considering a resignation, that's across every industry. So I don't, I'm not as quick to, you know, I love Dave at Barna. I mm. love Barna before Dave. They both have the, the very uh, unique spiritual gift of sobriety. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it just kind of, and I'm not convinced that that's for ministry alone, that you see this yeah. 42%. I think it's, mm. it's bigger than that. But, but I, I also think that there's something going on in ministry right now uh, that, it, okay, I'll say the controversial thing that I'll get killed for it, but uh, maybe some of them should quit. Hmm. Now, what in the world, William? You just blew up the pot. Like, can we edit that out? Can we get William off here and get another guest? I mean, but like in the U.S., you had a season after World War II 
uh, where you had, I've heard a lot of people call it Eisenhower Christianity. Like we go because we're supposed to. President Mm -hmm. Eisenhower, who's where he raised our kids to learn right from wrong. We go because we're supposed to. Attendance like that has fallen off significantly. And the fruit of the church has not fallen off significantly. So it's like the, the, we're glad for anybody to come to church anytime, but if you're just there because you're just supposed to be there, maybe that's not adding to the fruit of the kingdom as an attender, right? So, so if you follow that logic, go one step up with me. I, I remember sitting at the cafeteria at Princeton Seminary, and I, I have no family in ministry. I, uh, <laughs> when I, told, I was at a family dinner at my grandmother's house, what are you going to do after seminary? What are you going to do? I think I'm going to go into ministry. And my granddad tried to talk me out of it, which is a hilarious conversation. My grandmother said, you're going into ministry. Oh, good. Now we have one to get us all in. <laughs> so, that's, so, so I get to Princeton. I'm sitting in the seminary cafeteria and, you know, we're all talking. And I realize everyone around this table has family in ministry. And then I'd go to another to everyone, and it's a family business. For some parts of the kingdom, it's just been a family business. It's like when I was growing up and people would say, which law school are you going to? Because dad's a lawyer. Not, mm-hmm. do you want to be? It's a family business. You know what? I don't know that that holds water when it comes to mm-hmm. a call from God. And mm-hmm. some people might just be doing ministry because it's what they're supposed to do because everyone in the family did it. And it might not be where God's calling you. So maybe this is, you know, I'm trying to make lemonade out of Dave's stats, but maybe this mm-hmm. is a time where I can do a serious examination of where am I best serving? It may yeah. not be in the congregation and there's no shame in that. Okay, that's super helpful. Tell me more about fickle candidates. What are they being fickle about? Well, so somebody told me this very recently when I was talking to church leaders and they were doing searches for staff. It's like nobody wants to move anymore. Now, this is after everybody moved in the last two years. Where, where's the, maybe that's not true. Where, where do you see the fickleness showing up? Because I think you're right. It's harder to attract people to your team now than in the past, but how? I think you're spot on. I think some people saw the, you know, moving's hard. It's hard on a family. Yeah. It's, it's, some people say it's a bigger stressor than death, you know, like mm. public speaking first, then either moving or death, and then the other one. So I think people are starting to see the whole grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. Mm. Um, I think they're probably looking at organizations that have a high turnover. And if, well, they've got, if they've got high turnover, what's to say I'm going to be there a long time? And I, I also think there are more options for people than ever before. Yeah. And much like yeah. the Great Resignation, there are, people have dropped back and said, well, where do I want to do this? Why do I want to do mm-hmm. this? How old are my parents? How young are the kids? So there's just a lot more factoring in. But like, and we'll get, you know, if we did a search five years ago, we'll deliver six to eight great candidates for a slate and move on from there. Now it's, it's a much lower number, but higher potential. And at the end of the day, you're only hiring one person, so uh, that's fine. But but we'll get calls the day before we present a candidate saying, yeah, I'm out. And I, it is, I don't have the forensics on it. I just know it's real. And I hope it uh, brings some comfort to anyone that's having trouble looking right now. Yeah. 
Well, that's a nice segue into my next question, smaller pool of candidates. Uh, according to, I think it's Barna data again, the average senior pastor turns 60 in 2024, which is insane. I mean, it was in your 40s. 25, 30 years ago. So basically, the pastorate has is aging out, and that squarely puts them in the retirement zone. And I don't, maybe I'm wrong, William, I don't see a ton of next-gen leaders signing up for church leadership. So, you know, what are you seeing in terms of next-generation talent going, we're in, we're here to serve, we're ready to work for a church? Is there a lot of candidates, few candidates? And I'm talking about under 40s and even under 30s. Wow, you just asked a lot of good questions at once, Carrie. You're good at this. This you is stuff that keeps me awake at night. Like when my mind goes goes fallow, I'm like, oh yeah, like this is going to be a big problem to solve. And I'm like legit yeah. concerned about it. So a couple uh, answers in random order, not order sure. of importance. There's more talent than you know. Well, good. Okay. So one thing that I'm working on personally is self-awareness. And that means getting the log out of my own eye before worrying about somebody else's splinter, right? Uh, you remember, you don't remember, you're Canadian. Uh, U.S. citizens will remember all the posters of Uncle Sam saying, I want you. Right? Oh, yeah. I had that in my college Constant dorm, believe it or not, push. even as a Canadian. Mm -hmm. Constant push to get people to sign up for the military. Not mm -hmm. just during World War II, but like constant push. How many church leaders that are listening today are doing a constant push to call people into ministry? Yeah, nobody. Hardly. Nobody. Now, I grew mm -hmm. up Presbyterian. We, you know, we're, we're pretty mellow in worship. But like my Baptist friends, one of my very good Baptist friends, Tom Rayner, said, you know, William, we have completely lost the art. There used to be a call to discipleship before the last hymn. If you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you come forward. And right after that, Every Sunday, there was a call to ministry. Is anyone out there feeling like God might be wanting to use them vocationally? We don't do that anymore. No. And we expect people to just show up. If you just expect people to show up to your podcast, will that work for you? No. Or are you out recruiting? Are you out building a list? Are you providing super valuable content to bring people in? I don't know how we expect people to just go into ministry. I would never have thought of it. And I was sitting at a lunch across from the young new pastor at my home church, and he just looked me square in the eye and said, I think you need to consider ministry. I thought he was smoking pot. Like, what <laughs> in the world? Are you kidding? You don't know who I... I think we have lost the art of recruiting non-ministry into ministry, and we just expect it to happen. So that's a first sort of harsh answer that I'm trying to work on, getting the you know mm -hmm. log out of my own eye and not worry about the splinter and others. I also think there's a, a birth rate reality. Yep. There's so many boomers. There's so many. Mm -hmm. I mean, World War II ends. There's boomers. There's so many millennials and even more Gen Zs. And there are not many people my age. I'm 53. Mm -hmm. There's just not many people uh, 40 to 55 years old. Well, if the 60-whatever-year-old is retiring... Do you really feel like you can hand the keys off to a 30-year-old? Hmm. Most people don't. You know, I tell people all the time, if I had a nickel for every church that wants me to find them a 42-year-old person that's just like Jesus, except he, he quit drinking and he got married, 
Like those two, that's mm-hmm. what everyone wants. And they're, by birth rate, there aren't that many of them. So I think it's on uh, me again to start recruiting younger. It's on churches to be developing leadership development pipelines so they can equip younger people. The succession conversation needs to start earlier and earlier and earlier. I think there are lots of people that would go into ministry if the training, development, and recruiting were there. Now, are there plenty of churches, I've seen your writing, that have a toxic culture? Yeah. Are there plenty of subordinate jobs that aren't paying enough? Absolutely. And that probably drives people away. But I, uh, very insightful on your part, but I don't sense that there is some, uh, the cupboard is bare, there's no one to do the work. Okay. No, that's good. I'm I'm all for uh, seeing positive trends, but it's going to take some work. So you got a new book called Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You got a new book called Be the Unicorn. Everyone's looking for the unicorn candidate. I'd love to start with your methodology. What methodology did you use to come up with the characteristics of the best of the best? Yeah. Because it's a very unique take. It's not just like ChatGPT told me this is what all candidates should have. Like, tell exactly. us a bit about your methodology. Well, the methodology started with a question. Um, you know, when I met you and we spent some time face to face. I think we ended up at dinner. Um, mm-hmm. We were in Orlando. I, I, I don't remember the very first time, but I remember when I met you within five minutes, I said, this one's different. Mm-hmm. This one is special. And I was right. It was long before you had eight bajillion downloads per minute or whatever the, the number is now. But, uh, you, you know, there are a few times, I think everyone's had that moment where you meet somebody and within five minutes, you're like, oh, wow. That one is special. Well, hmm. I've always wondered, what are you doing that makes me feel that way? I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm not the most gullible. Why am I so ready to sign up for your email list or join your church or want to hire you? Or What are you doing? We had the pandemic and uh, every one of our clients closed indefinitely, which, by the way, will change your P&L for the year. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also, not our uh, finest hour. Yeah, it also uh, will free up your calendar. And so during the pandemic, um, we we served churches, helping them with PPP, with all kinds of things that made mm-hmm. us zero money, but we tried to help what we could. And and then we still had extra time left over, and we were able to say, all right, this question: What are people doing the first five? How do we realized at that point that in a search, you know, you look at maybe a thousand candidates and then maybe it's a hundred and then maybe it's dozens. And then when you get down to the very best of the best in our method, we have a long format in person, face to face interview. Okay. It's usually about three hours long. It's a pretty big deal. Take copious notes. We realized during the pandemic, we've done 30,000 of those now. Wow. Which is a lot. What a decade and a half will get you, right? It's just like, I think sometimes expertise is born out of number of repetitions more than anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, I'm not smarter. I just got more reps. I hope no one's done 30,000 interviews. That'd be really sad. But, uh, you know, we just, we figured that out. And then we said, well, okay, that was the best of the best. Can we track careers? Can we see, did they, how did they behave during the interview? Was that exceptional? Did they do an exceptional job? Did they get promoted? Did they get moved to a better, did they replace themselves? All these sort of things that said, were these people worthy of the five-minute reaction? Because I've had five-minute reactions before that turn out to be a dud. 
Uh, I've also had times where I've met people that were a total unicorn and I missed them. Yeah, I've had that too, where I'm like not particularly impressive. And then you find out more about them and you're like, oh my gosh, these people are Oh, the first time I met Chris Hodges, John Maxwell Mm. introduced us and we were uh, were at a fundraiser event. I want you to meet Chris. He's getting ready to plant a church in Birmingham. He's going to be great. I'm like, oh, I've lived in Montgomery, Alabama. You have friends in Alabama? No. You have family in Alabama? Do you know? Do you know anyone in Alabama? No. And I just looked at him and said, well, good luck, buddy. And he's done all right. You know, he's, he's done just fine. Yeah, you're right. Chris is one of those people who kind of, I love him, but he flies under the radar. Like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're scanning a room of pastors, it's like spot the guy with the biggest church in the room. You wouldn't go to Chris. Just doesn't attract attention. It's that kind of thing. Like when you make that impression where I love you in five minutes, what are you doing? And, and is that worth noting? And if mm. you fly right by me, could I look for things you're doing so I don't miss you? And this was all a very selfish question because Hmm. what I wanted to do was while we're in a pandemic, let's learn how to be better at finding unicorns. So when we come out of this, we'll be even better than we were before, right? We studied these people and we said, do they have anything in common? And the answer was absolutely. And the list was nothing that I thought it would be. Wow. It's not like uh, charisma, the like je ne sais quoi, like... The it oh, factor, any of that. It's it's not even, uh, he was the quarterback, she was the head cheerleader. It's not right. education levels. It's not intelligence. It's not socioeconomic or racial. It cut across every age bracket. There were 12 habits that these unicorns almost seemed to be driven to perform. Like they, they were obsessed. They didn't even know it, but just... This is where I go naturally. And they were 12 habits that were very uncommon among the rest of us and exceedingly applicable and learnable. And so what we set off on this selfish, let's figure out how to spot the unicorn. What we figured out was we've actually uncovered a roadmap to becoming a unicorn. Now this has got to be a book. And, And Carrie, you know as well as anybody you don't write books to make money unless your name's J.K. Rowling. You mm-hmm. like you, it's not. It's a labor of love. You you've got a message that you think will help people, and you try and get it out. And so that's that's kind of where we went through a methodology of saying, how did they behave when we first met them? How did they behave after that? And are the two a match? Yeah, that was what was so surprising when I moved through the book. I had the privilege of endorsing it and then reading it again, getting ready for this interview or reviewing it again. And, you know, everybody's looking for the unicorn candidate. They're looking for that one in a million, the person who's going to turn everything around. But it's so, I don't want to say anticlimactic because you have it stacked. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal, but you're like, oh, these are, there's no big surprise here. It's like, but when you stack them together, you're like, well, of course. And so your argument, and this is news for everybody, those who are searching, but also those who want to be a unicorn, do these things and things will tend to go better for you. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I set out to say, how do I find unicorns? Now I've learned we can train them. And (laughs) you know what, you know what the alternate title that we laugh about in the office was going to be if it weren't be the unicorn? No. Well, I guess mom was right. Because if you read the table of contents, it's like, I'm oh, pretty sure. Oh, there you go. 
<laughs> I get it. Like, I get it. That's funny. Well, I guess I mom was learn, I learned in kindergarten. You know, it's that kind uh-huh. of thing. It's like you read the list and you'd go, well, duh, William, that's easy. But this is not William's uh, 12 unmistakable ruminations about what. No, right. this is uh, what, what do they say? Simplicity often lies on the far side of complexity right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a simple list that's on the far side of a lot of research, and it should be good news that it's that simple. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like we've discovered the treadmill that if you use it, you will win the New York Marathon, but you got to use it. Yeah. So let's, uh, before we dive in, because I really want to dive in, let's talk a little bit about, I think you use the um, number of 1%. Like these are, so to be a unicorn, this is data-based, data-driven. You're what? You're the candidate who turned things around. You stay there for a long time. Like, what are some of the, without the the habits we're going to talk about and approaches we're going to talk about, what are some of the things that made this small percentage of people stand out among all the others? How did they become the ideal candidate, the unicorn candidate? We can go over the 12 habits in a bit, but it's the, yeah. it's the you walk away and you go, oh my gosh. Um, you know, years ago, I had a fantastic assistant. She had three babies in four years and something about wanting to be a mom. Yeah, I've, and I've had that experience. Mm-hmm. Of leaders or something like that. She's like, I got to, you know, grr. So I start looking for another assistant and I'm going to, we're a search firm. I'm going to do a search. And I asked, we had a brand new employee who I hired because one of our people said, she's my friend. She could do office work. Um, She worked as she's just amazing. She came to us from a Gothic wig shop. Like RuPaul was her, her client, right? (laughs) I just lost business by saying that, but she came to us and I said, well, would you mind just sitting in this desk till I figure out who the assistant is? Sure. So this is the days before iPads. This is when, if you remember in your laptop, you would stick the little uh, stick in there that gets you a 3G signal so you could download your email and all. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm getting on a plane and I've got the laptop open stick and a lead comes in that's in Spanish. And you know me, I'm kind of maniacal about getting back to people. So I, the yeah. plane's getting ready to take off. I'm getting stink eye from the flight attendant. And I'm like, Ugh. so I, I just emailed Bethany because I knew she knew Spanish. And I said, can you deal with this? And I'll follow up when we land get up in the air and I realize, uh-oh, this is Portuguese. And so more than likely, this is Brazil. And if you're Brazilian and you write in in Portuguese and somebody assumes Spanish, you, you've not gotten off to a good start with that person. <laughs> like, yeah, they don't like that. So I land and I'm frantically calling Bethany, the brand new just do office work, gothic wig girl. And I'm like, hey, don't do anything. It's not, she said, I'm just, hang on. It's not Spanish, William. Did you know that? I said, yes. I figured out it's Portuguese. Okay. Go back to pre-iPad days and the software that's available. She said, I got, I, I tried to take care of it. So what'd you do? So I, I hope it's okay, but I figured out it was Portuguese. I found this online translator thing. It's kind of a new thing. And I, I ran his inquiry through. He was getting ready to speak about succession to a group of pastors in Rio de Janeiro and he wanted to know if we had any resources he could use just, you know, on the fly. And so I went through our library 
and I found a white paper you'd written on succession for his particular things he was talking about. I ran it back through the Google Translator, got it translated. I, I made it a PDF so he couldn't, you know, go manipulate it. I branded it and I went ahead and sent it to him. And I'm sorry if that's if I did things without asking. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's who we all want to hire. That's who we oh all want. Oh my gosh. I said, Carrie, yeah. I said, Bethany. That whole sit here till I find somebody. Can we just end that conversation? I found somebody. Mm-hmm. You're it. So, mm-hmm. and she was the best. I mean, oh my gosh, the unicorn. But uh, it's it's that kind of experience. Which, if we were to dissect that interaction, you'd see a whole lot of those twelve habits at work. But it's the wow. How do I hire someone like that? So this is this is going over those thirty thousand, finding the very cream of the crop, and these are the characteristics habits that separate the best leaders from everybody else. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that's right. hope. Number one, fast. So you and I need to have a conversation about this because ridiculous responsiveness is one of your values, right? And I think you and Brian Miles both have that in common from Belay, one of the founders of Belay. <laughs> yeah, if mutual friend. If I get in the same group as Brian Miles, it's been a good day. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. Brian's awesome. So anyway, talk about fast. Leaders are... Fast. Yeah. Unicorns are fast. So, so apologies to everyone listening. We called it the fast because people will say, well, I'm not fast. I want to read that. It's a little bit of clickbait for the chapter. The reality is it should be called responsive. I am not fast. Carrie is not fast. We are Dutch. We are built for wind resistance. We're steady, <laughs> sturdy people. Like <laughs> there are no sprinters that have won Olympic gold from the Netherlands ever. You know, <laughs> so it, it's, it's responsive and it's, it's intentional responsiveness, right? So it's, and, and the reality is we as humans are horrible at getting back to people, just terrible across every sector. And that's what makes these habits so, so interesting to me. They're not hard to name. They're kind of hard to adapt. They're incredibly uncommon among everybody else. If you'll just adapt them, you will stand out of the crowd. Just get back to people quickly and they will remember you. We, we fell into this when we started the business just because I got six kids, wife, a house I can barely afford. I just quit my job to start this new thing. If you reached out to me, I was going to get back to you real fast because I needed to buy groceries, right? Mm-hmm. But then as a rule, we're terrible at it. Like we even talked to the people at eHarmony, which if you're younger than Carrie and me, that's like the OG for Tinder or Bumble or any of these sort of, it's, it's the, the, the beginning. Right. And, uh, we asked, you know, Oh, here's my profile. I want to meet somebody. And the system emails you, we found somebody you might want to talk to and people didn't follow up with those emails. Mm -hmm. I think about that. This is a database of lonely people, which is arguably one of the worst sufferings people go through is loneliness. Mm-hmm. And they get a chance to meet somebody who might solve the loneliness and they don't respond. You know, the fastest way to get a first-time donor to give again at your church, brand new study that's come out, the pastor who preached on the Sunday they gave texts them on that day. Overwhelmingly, that will cause people to give again. And you don't have to say what the amount was. Hey, Carrie, 
I got a note that you were in church today and you made a first-time gift. Thanks for investing us in us, especially without even knowing us really well. I hope you'll come back. It's the Boom. and it's the when. It's not a week later. It's that day. And and if it and if you don't think people are hungry for this, think about that. Think about how absurd it is that a pastor would text a first-time donor like. You and I grew up in an yeah, era you where you left a lot of buttons, but I'm not disagreeing with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think that the art of responding to people is not difficult to pull off. Nobody does it. And if you want a quick fix, a life hack without reading anything else in the book, just get back to people quickly with a very intentional human response. Not one of these iPhone generated, can I get right back to you text messages, like a real response. This is what blows me away because I was, as I was looking at your research, you know, uh, I don't want to drop names, but I'm talking about names of everybody listening to this podcast would know. When I text or email that class of leaders, that elite group of leaders, they're back to, and I've got their cell phone or their private email or whatever. They're back to me sometimes in seconds and usually in minutes. I mean, I'm talking about some of the busiest people on the planet. I emailed Dave Ramsey last night, two nights ago, with a question about book and book launch and all that. He got back to me in two minutes, and he was in another country that's not on this time zone. So basically, middle of the night or very early in the morning, he's right back. Like, it's almost like these unicorns, and Dave's one of them, have a almost a a compulsion to practice these habits. Yeah. And I I said that to one of my CEO friends and he, he is in charge of multiple companies. And I said, his name's Chris. I'm just like, Chris, I don't know how you do this. Like you're back to me all the time right away. And he just said to me, I don't do that for everybody. Do you think people tear it sometimes? It's it's really interesting. I mean, there, there are others who are just like, they're always back, but here's, here's the rub and here's the dilemma for me. You do a test with your top candidates for big searches and run us through the test. And because I want to talk about bandwidth, burnout, overwhelm, digital fatigue, that stuff that we're all struggling with, but run us through the test and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. The test was born out of um, my sort of OCD desire to get back to people. And I'm not perfect at it. I, I fail a lot, but we built a small team. We were really small. We started, I started yeah. on a card table. You know, the dog came to the office. That was about the only regular employee for a dog while. Dog still does, but yeah. It, well, the dog died. So I had to do oh, a succession. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. Oh, oh he you did a, a long succession? Good life, lived a long, good life. I failed at the succession. So we're, we're going to the next generation now. Uh, Your absolute worst succession plan I've ever done was the dog succession. But uh, that's a different podcast. All right, different podcast. (laughs) Sorry for that. So, you know, when we're building this company, it's like if we get back to people, it works. Speed wins was the way we said Mm. it before. Speed wins. So when we're interviewing people, like I don't want to hire somebody that's not naturally wired to get back to people quickly and then expect it of them. I mean, that's really Mm. abusive as a boss to place them in an environment where their wiring doesn't match the expectations of the organization, right? Mm -hmm. So if you came, Carrie comes to, he's tired of the podcast. I'm done with the podcast. I don't want the listeners. The headphones hurt me. I'm going to go work with William. Okay, fine. So we fly you in. Uh, you spend the day with us. You get home because we fly you right back. So you're not having to, you know, be gone from 
wife and family. And uh, as you're in the parking garage in the airport there in Toronto, you get a text from a number you don't know. And it's like, hey, Carrie, uh, my name's Ben. I work at Vanderbilt and I wasn't there today, but I heard you were and I heard you made an awesome impression. I'd love it if we could connect sometime. Hope that can happen. If you don't respond right away, you will not lose the job, Mm. right? Got to say that right out of the gate. If you respond that evening, if you respond in 24 hours, and there's data in the book that shows the why behind the 24-hour thing, if you respond within 24 hours, you're special. That's not Mm. normal. Normal is about 42 hours for responsive people. Uh, So 24 hours, hey, look at that. You respond to me that night, even if it's like, dude, I am beat. I want to see Tony. I don't want to talk to you, but I'll get back to you tomorrow. Even like that rude, but right away it's like, oh my gosh, we found somebody Mm -hmm. that's crazy like us. If -hmm. you write back right away and say, let's do it. Here's three times I'm available, but it's tomorrow. Now it's like, oh my, I'm not saying you're what I am. I'm not saying you're perfect. What I am saying is you're the same kind of crazy we are and we need that around here. Yeah. Okay. No, that 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 is. I can't go to bed with um, unread text messages, even if I'm beat. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'd love to talk, Ben. Sorry, we missed each other. How about we connect in the morning? Or yes. you know, I got Todd Wilson texted me yesterday. You know, Todd, formerly of Exponential, and he's like, hey, Carrie, can I get ten minutes of your time? And it's like one of those things. And I'm driving, and I'm like, oh man, if I put him in the system, it's going to be December because I'm gone for a week, and na 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 na. And I'm just like, I'm just going to call him. I just called him it's right away. It's just easier. It's, it's just, just easier. easier. We it's like, hey, Todd. You, got- mm-hmm. you and I did the same thing just a couple of weeks ago. It's like if we had tried to get yeah. assistance to schedule it, we still wouldn't have met. Oh, yeah. You and I were trying to connect on data for something I was writing. And you're like, let's just jump on the phone. Right? So, again, I can't do that for everybody. Nope. But if you're in that inner circle, and I guess if I'm going for a job and you're my search firm, yeah, I need to pay attention to that. Well, and, you know, you hit on something. So um, let's see. It was uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal wanted some article on this text test, you know, Mm because there's the whole coffee cup test that was a big thing that hit the news. Do do you take your coffee cup in and clean it or do you expect somebody else to pick it up? Right. You know, that that sort of thing. And everybody said, that's abusive. It's awful. Uh, Business Insider picked up the interview and ran it everywhere across the world. I have more Germans that hate me right now because apparently you don't text people after hours in Germany. There's lots. Oh of, no, it's illegal. It, it's illegal in Ontario I, too, where I live. I yeah. got slaughtered. It was awful, <laughs> and I knew wow. it going in. But but, but uh, I knew it going in. I'm like, that's fine. If you read the whole article, you'll understand. First of all, nobody should be on their phone 24 seven, and every good yeah. leader should set up guardrails of expectations for communication, particularly communication after hours. And, and we've learned this by, not because I'm smart, but because of bad repetitions where I've, you know, burned people out or what, what have you. We've said, you email me after hours as a company inside our firm, I will get back to you within 24 hours. And the first time I'm on email, and that might be in the middle of the night, might be the morning, but 24 hours. If you slack me after hours, Okay. Well, now we're at DEFCON 3. Like, that's a very clear message to me that you need an answer tonight. And maybe I'm putting a kid to bed or whatever. I can, I can get that done, but I need to get back to you pretty dang. You text me after hours, DEFCON 2. Like, yeah. 
buddy, you just like, you just said, answer me now because I really need it. Mm-hmm. Now that meant we had to all drop out of our text string when we were watching Game of Thrones or Mad Men or whatever right. awful thing we were watching, you know. Uh, but but it created an expectation. And then if you call me after hours, it's like I've shined the bat signal in the air, and <laughs> you better freaking respond, or the Joker's going to burn the city, you know. So I think every leader, it's incumbent on them to prevent burnout by saying, "Here are the guardrails and the very yeah. clear expectations." And I got to tell you, Carrie, I cannot remember the last time I've called anyone after hours. You know what? We have a very similar uh, system and we train leaders in it. Like you need a triage system or just a, a priority system. And we're the same way. Like Slack for us can wait till the next day. A text is like, mm, this is really important. And I'm so sorry about after hours. And a phone call is emergency. Uh, level. And same thing. I cannot remember the last text I got when I wasn't traveling and it was related to my flight with my assistant after hours from a team member. It just doesn't happen. And uh, oh, good. So it's not about burnout then. It's not about you need to be on your phone 24 seven and sleep with your ringer on. Like that's not it. You're what you're saying is because we all know people. Let me, let me leave it here and then we move on to some other characteristics. What you're getting at is we all know people who you've emailed them you've texted them, you've slacked them, and then you hit them up again and they still haven't responded. They're not the unicorns. I'll tell you who else is not a unicorn and then we can move on. The person who says no by not responding. You ever get that? Yeah. You email them and they just ice you and that's their way of saying no. Hey, if that's your practice, you're being a coward. Mm -hmm. Just say no. Mm -hmm. Quit Mm -hmm. being a coward. Quit hiding behind silence because that just says not only no, but I don't care. And that, you know, and I don't want to engage with you. And it used to be the mark of a great leader to know when not to respond or whatever. Mm. You can respond. It's not that hard. You can just say no, or you have a team respond on your behalf if you've got a lot of inbound and leading something big. Hey, before we move on, there's that chart I think you put in the book about, um, and it's just an example, but like sales efficiency, if you respond within a minute, five minutes, a day, a week, whatever that is, I don't know that that's top of mind, but can you just walk us through that matrix to let us know what difference that makes? And and that's why, you know, with customer service, we're on a four-day work week. We're now pivoting so that people are going to hire an outside agency to help us with it because I don't like the three-day pause until people have to hear back. So we're going to get, I want my team to have some time off, but we got to get somebody else in the mix so that people don't just wait. It's like, I emailed Thursday at six. That's an important distinction, Carrie, and that's what makes you so good at what you do. It's Your team is responsive. Your team gets back. This whole text test thing, I don't think that's all that necessary for accountants on our team, but for sales and marketing people, it absolutely is. Yeah, it is. Particularly when we're serving churches in Australia or mm-hmm. the other side of the world. And if that means I am going to be pretty glued to my phone unless I'm on PTO. And of course, we have round robins where not everybody has to respond all the time. But it's what you're signing up for. Yeah. And I'm sorry if you don't like it. Maybe you should consider something else. And yeah, maybe but you shouldn't are, be in sales. There are some frontline jobs. Like if you decide you're an ambulance driver, and you get the call, but you're like, hey, I'm at my kid's soccer game, and I really feel a little burned Just out. sat and down to dinner, you know. Yeah, it do doesn't work. Yeah. So, 
I'm all for let's not burn out. I know that's a huge pain point and you went through it. I did. But, yeah. but there are some careers where if you sign up for it, you signed up for it. Yeah. So what's um, the difference and, in sales like between yeah, people who so, respond so the right away? Was, so we use, uh, I guess you guys probably do too, um, fill out a form on our website and somebody will be in touch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and a lot of companies do this. It's called inbound marketing. We've used HubSpot since the very beginning of their, you know, public uh, offering to people. And uh, there was a study done of, of everybody who uses inbound software, all platforms, Infusionsoft, Pardot, Hopes, HubSpot, whatever you use. And the question was, how much does response time affect the likelihood of actually talking to a lead that comes in? Because mm-hmm. that's the goal of sales is to have the next conversation, right? Kind of yeah. like evangelism. It's not to mm-hmm. close it on the first time, but just have the next one. So how much does response time affect likelihood to have a conversation? So the answers were really clear. Um, if you respond to a lead that comes in within 60 seconds, you have a 98% chance of having a conversation with that prospect. Wow. Amazing. Slam dunk. If you wait 20 minutes, it drops to 60%. 60 is better than 40, but you just lost 40% of your 38% of a chance because you waited 20 minutes. Okay. If you wait 24 hours, it's less than 1%. The kicker is the study went on to figure out the average response time of all the companies that took the survey, 42 hours. We are not good at getting back to people. But you can figure out how I just I just answered a lead this week on, on Saturday afternoon because the only things that hit my lock screen on my phone, the only emails that hit my screen on my lock phone are my wife and leads coming in. And I don't, hmm. don't mean I respond to everyone, but I look at them and I can say, is this one worth me doing or passing on? My goodness. Okay, that's super helpful. So if you're wondering why nobody gets back to you, you don't connect. It's just timeliness, timeliness. And again, I would consider you triage who you're getting back to, what that looks like, but it's so important. Okay, so Unicorn is fast. Um, Authenticity, very much used word these days. How do you define it? What are you looking for? And what do you mean that unicorns are authentic, William? I think the uh, the quick way to describe it is, and, and particularly with church leaders, this is easy to describe. Uh, have you run into a church leader where there's the stage William and then the backstage William? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The oh, that's rampant very, in the church. It's rampant. The unicorns in the have a very tight gap yeah. between those two things. Mm. You know, we've got an 18-year-old daughter right now who has quit social media, and I think if she could take up an activism cause, it would be to ban social media forever. But she's like, Dad, as an 18-year-old woman, it is so hard for me to see all these curated pictures of people that I know don't look like that. And then I end up thinking, why don't I look like that? And it just creates all kinds of, of angst in me. And I'm like, that actually says it right there. When people are trusting a leader, they want to respect who they are. And, and like, if you remember Promise Keepers, the old yeah. ministry of men from years and years ago, who used to have rallies. Uh, if you're younger, just Google it. But Bill McCartney, who was the coach at Colorado, that's where Coach Prime is. And there were other coaches before him. And uh, it, Coach McCartney used to say this, said, here's success. Success is when the people who know you the best love and respect you the most. Mm. 
That's authenticity. And it's incredibly rare. And so we offer some key, every chapter in the book has a, here's a case study of someone that's authentic. Here's what we heard from our unicorns about how they try and sharpen their authenticity. And here's some very clear practices for you to develop your sense of authenticity. What's a couple of practices for people who realize, and you know who, who hits it? And I mean, I would say I've probably gotten better at it over the years, but like I look back before I burned out and yeah, sometimes there would be collateral damage around some of my staff. My family wouldn't get the best of me or they'd get grumpy carry because I wasn't happy or I was too tired or whatever. Um, what are some practices to integrating it so that the experience doesn't vary between what you see and what you get? Yeah. Well, you know, what's so interesting to me, Carrie, I, um, back when I went to First Presbyterian as a senior pastor, mm-hmm. fantastic church, very large church, even by Texas standards, I was 31, which meant the best thing I had going for me was I knew everything. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, I had an answer for everything. Mm. And the faster I moved, the less people trusted me. I didn't know that moving too fast can erode trust. Mm. And I wasn't doing anything duplicitous. It's just like, why is he talking so fast? Why are we moving to the next idea? Why does he have all the answers? He must be hiding something. Now that I'm a little bit older, I find myself asking more questions. I find myself trying to, to listen more. Mm. And the few times I do that well, people are like, man, you're so authentic. Mm. And, and as we studied unicorns, we found two quick life hacks for developing authenticity. Authenticity doesn't mean being perfect. It just means being real. Mm. And, and I think if you will find yourself uh, listening actively to the people you're talking to, they will find you more authentic. That's so counterintuitive, but it's not doing anything except listening authentically. The other thing that we found, and this is super interesting to me, uh, it's not in the book. So bonus content. Um, you, ever, you ever sit with somebody, it's usually a really influential person. You're like, they made me feel like I was the only person in the room. Oh, yeah. You ever have, yeah. yeah. And you can't, you just want to like that person. They're so authentic. Oh, my gosh. Mm. They just made me feel. Eye contact makes so much difference. Eye Mm. contact. Now, here's the life hack. 90% or more of all humans are right eye dominant. I did not know that. So that means your your vision comes from your right eye and your left eye is the peripheral work. Now, some people are the other way around, but not nearly as many as left-handed, right-handed. Most people are right eye dominant. Guns are built that way. The scope built for right eye dominant, you know, targets. Okay. So- If you want people to feel like you're making them feel like the only person in the room, look them dead in their right eye. Not between the eyes, not shifting around. Shifty eyes do not uh, convey authenticity. Look them dead in their right eye. If you've got it wrong, you'll figure it out and you can go to the left eye. But I bet you the next time if you sit down and just really stare in their left eye, like we're all having to do in the Zoom cameras, (laughs) then... uh, you'll come off as more authentic and you'll probably be more authentic. Interesting. Yeah. Probably harder to lie when you're making direct eye contact or shade the truth. Well, there's a lot of other, uh, like characteristics that we could touch on agility, solving, 
risk. Um, which of those springs out to you? Well, unfortunately, agility doesn't spring out. Um, <laughs> agility is something that unicorns are really, really good at. Um, it's probably more needed than ever. Yeah. It probably will be more needed in the next 10 years than it ever has been even till now. And yet it's the one of the 12 habits that will naturally atrophy if you don't give it proactive attention. Like you can be responsive. You, you, maybe you're OCD and you just need to respond to people, but agility goes away. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was, uh, I'm a runner or I'm probably, you ought to say jogger. And I mean, if we're really honest, I'm a shuffler. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I got to an age where I needed to stretch to keep from getting injured and touching my toes was not something I'm, I'm pretty stiff. Again, Presbyterian Dutch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not pretty, for pretty wooden. Mm-hmm. No, we don't win limbo contests. You know, yeah. it's not our, not our thing. Um, so I'm trying to touch my toes. Our youngest, the hours of the yours, mine, and ours comes in. She's a little toddler and she ties herself up in a pretzel like little kids can do and mm-hmm. laughs at me and leaves the room. And I just stood there and then it dawned on me, William, every day you're alive, you get less flexible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's biology. We're never more flexible when, than when we're crammed up in our mother's womb. That's We're never point. less flexible than the last day of our life. And it's true occupationally. It's true organizationally. And so when you find a unicorn, one of the things that we discovered is they're not willing to go gently into that good night. <laughs> they're forever taking on new things. You're one of them. Goodness gracious, you had an amazingly successful church in a place that's not easy to do church. And you're like, let's start a podcast. Mm-hmm. Who does that? A unicorn yeah. does. Mm-hmm. Who who is it that says I'm going to take on a new hobby? You know, people complain all the time that the what is it the seven last words of the church? Uh, we've never done it that way, or something yeah. like that. You know, um, the reality is everyone atrophies to that. Everyone calcifies. The rare few are insistent on learning new things, not in an ADD scattered, shiny object syndrome kind of way but in a a strategic, I'm going to learn this kind of way. You know, it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. I got a few years on you, maybe five or so, uh, William, but I'd say it was natural for me in my 20s and 30s. And I realized you atrophy a number of years ago. So at this point, it's somewhat instinctive, but it's it's a discipline for me. It's like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to try to figure out AI. I'm going to try to figure this out. Like I've got to have new skills, new experiences, or I become the guy we've always done it this way. Uh, Another, another one that's really interesting. And this was probably the most intriguing. I'm like likable. Okay. So they're likable. And part of it, I, I mean, People-pleasing is an occupational hazard in ministry. Most of us desperately want to be liked. That comes out of insecurity. Likeability, what is, what is behind that? And what do you, let's define terms. What do you mean by likable? And then what makes for a likable person? Yeah, I think likability is, uh, would you refer this person to a friend? You know, the Amazon mm. question. It's the number one customer review. It's the number one predictor of sales. Would you refer this product to a friend? Would people refer you to a friend? And, and uh, maybe the most consistent indicator that I've seen of likability is deflection of the conversation away from the self. Okay. Over and over and over. 
I saw even like the more successful and influential a person is the, the, one of the churches I served had some pretty amazing world leaders in it. Uh, and literally like the people in the church were just the best at whatever they were doing. One neighbor is building a proton cannon for frontal lobe cancer treatment. I'm like, is there another one of those? He said, yeah, it's up in Cambridge, you know, at, at Harvard. Oh, cool. Who's your competition? He said, well, I built that one too. So like those kind of people, right? And the the more successful and influential they are, the likable ones, not the unlikable, the likable ones, I couldn't get them to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. It was an intentional deflection back to, yeah, but Carrie, tell me about, I see all those books behind you, man. What's the mm-hmm. yellow ones? Those look really fun. Will you Tell me when you like reading right now. I'm really interested in you. That produces likability. And that's not doing the filters on Instagram or trying to be somebody you're not. It's just a genuine interest in others. And if you if you spend your life pouring into others, you're not going to have to worry about people liking you. Doesn't mean becoming all things to all people. It just means how can you turn a conversation to something you notice about people around you and and ask them about them. And it's very very rare. You had a masterclass with uh, President of the United States, Bill Clinton, <laughs> and you ended up spending a couple of hours with him. Uh, this isn't a political story, it's just a, a human story. And there was, you know, politics aside, a likability and a curiosity to Bill Clinton. Do you want to talk about your yeah. connections with President yeah, Clinton? Yeah, well, I mean, golly, it's hard to imagine that I'm going to say that President Clinton ran for office when things were more moderate than they are now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like his form of radical is not anywhere near the radical on the polls that we have in the U.S. right now. Mm. It was a it was a milder time. But I, and I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, people might not like it, but I didn't vote for him either time. I you know I don't have a genuine dislike for him, but I was just that's just not my jam, right? So uh, while I'm pastoring First Pres Houston. Uh, one of our members was Senator Lloyd Benson. Okay. So, so Senator Benson um, actually ran for vice president um, when the Bush 43 was running with Quayle. Uh, Dukakis tapped Benson. And if you're really old, you remember the vice presidential debate where Quayle was talking about his age and Jack Kennedy and, and Benson said, I knew Jack Kennedy. And you're no you're Jack right? Kennedy. That's, yeah. So when he died... He's a great guy. Uh, he had a stroke and couldn't communicate a whole lot at the end of his life. But uh, the Senate chartered a plane. And, like, we had a ridiculous number of dignitaries come in from all over. I mean, it was, you know, and uh, and, and Miss Benson said to me, uh, William, do you mind? Actually, the best line of the time with Miss Benson was uh, hearing her say, um, Mr. President, I'm going to have to call you back. Your dad's on the other line. It was Bush and Bush. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she said, do you mind if my friend, uh, President Clinton, gives the eulogy? I'm like, oh, my gosh. So in our order of service, that means there's eulogy and then sermon. So I am now the guy that has to go after Bill Clinton speaking, which is the shortest straw I've ever drawn uh-huh. in public speaking. Because love him or hate him, he's really good at it. So we set up this time for all these dignitaries to meet, you know, and have a, uh, share stories and everything before the service. It was all going to be outdoors. It rained like crazy. Long story short, 
we had to move it all indoors at the church with just general population and the Secret Service was nervous. So they moved President Clinton up in my office and I end up with him for about two hours, just the two of us hanging out. And uh, and it's everything. I just made me feel like I was the only one in the room, looked me dead in the right eye. But when I tried to ask him about him, I mean, what do you, you got? We're interviewers. You got a president in your study for two hours. You're going to ask, right? He he answered questions, but he deflected and he he looked over at my desk and we we're getting ready to lead like a footsteps of Paul trip to Turkey and Greece. He said, oh, you're going to you're leading a trip over there. I said, yeah. He said, oh, you're going to have to get to know my friend. I forget the title, but it's basically like the Eastern Orthodox equivalent of the Pope. And this is a quite a while ago. And I said, oh, th- thanks, Mr. President. I'll just, I'll get on that new Google thing and I'll look him up and figure it out. And he said, no, 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 no. I'll take care of it. So then I'll play, oh, I can play this game. Hey, Mr. President, what's this yarn bracelet you're wearing? He said, oh, these kids in, uh, I think it was Bolivia. Uh, they made it and it's for a cause. And I told him I'd wear it to raise awareness. And I said, oh yeah, no, we do mission work there. We have a, you know, we had a something for children in whatever country it was. And uh, he said, well, you should look up my friend. And it was like the ambassador of some, something I'm like, yeah, well, Mr. President, I'll just get on that Google thing. And, and he did this like three or four times. So, okay, fine. We have a great, he was total gentleman. We had a, wonderful time. I, I walked away saying, I get it. I understand mm. why people, uh, why people voted for this guy. And then two weeks later, I really got it because in comes the phone call from whatever the Pope of the <laughs> East North, the, his office, how can we help you? In comes call from said ambassador of country, like, and in comes a, a copy of his autobiography with a handwritten note to me and very custom done. And I'm like, he just deflected the entire two hours we had back on me and followed through on it. Wow. That's insane. You do that, you'll be like. Wow. Wow. That's a master class. And basically, you know what it is? It's Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. That's so good. Um, we covered a ton. Anything else you want to talk about with the unicorns, William, no, before we wrap I, up? I just, you know what dawned on me, Carrie? What's um, that? This can help a lot of people level up. Yeah. And and the, the workplace has never been more crowded. There are five generations working together in the workforce. True. Never mind the sixth generation. There's X, Y, Z. There's this sixth one called AI that's in our, that's crowding things, right? So... I hope it helps people stand out in the crowd wherever they are. But, but church leaders, what about this? So you meet somebody and within five minutes you love them and you want to be around them. You want to sign up for their newsletter or whatever the thing is, right? What if your entire core volunteers and staff were people like that? What if somebody wandered into your church and met five of your key staff or volunteers and said, I want to be like them. They are unbelievable. I, I got to go back there. I got to bring my friends back there. It's, these people are amazing. What if you could turn your whole team into that? That's where we got into this uh, book a little bit. And we thought we need to build a tool that helps people develop a team path for this. So we developed a software assessment tool that shows you where you stand against the unicorns, against the rest of the world. What are your top three? What are your bottom three? And we built a 360 component so teams can take it about each other. We even built a smaller one so families can take it as kind of a cool <laughs> thing. 
<laughs> growth <laughs> yeah, areas. Growth areas. Holidays <laughs> really special. Um, <laughs> but but the hope is it will allow teams to say we can become a team of unicorns. Mm-hmm. And then in a world that is increasingly disinterested in coming to see us, what if we were so interesting that they came even if they didn't care about what we were talking about? Mm. That would be pretty cool. And, and my hope is this will help teams who are on Team Jesus become that so that we can uh, get to the gates of hell a little quicker. Oh, that's amazing. So how do they get in on the assessment and everything? Is there a website? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so everything is in one spot. And that is uh, theunicornbook.com. That's okay. the one-stop shop. If you're interested in just the assessment, we're calling it the Vander Index because we're not very creative Dutch. And uh, you can go to vanderindex.com and you can see and we've got quite a, I think we have several thousand now that have taken it. So the sample size is really pretty special and it's only going to grow. So um, yeah, I hope it's helpful, you know, and for that matter, anything on our website that can help you. We have, I think we just crossed 4,500 free resources on our website. Man. Absolutely free. Not going to track you down. Just spell Vanderblumen however you want in Google and uh, you, you'll you'll find us. But I hope the book helps. I, I think it, uh, I, 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 we may have hit a nerve. Adrian's friends are all ordering it for their high school and college seniors as they enter the job market. So I, mm. I don't know. I'm just hopeful we can steward this in a way that that creates a, a super winsome team of unicorns that are trying to help Jesus get known. That's cool. William, thank you. So appreciate your friendship. So appreciate all the work you do for the church. The book is called Be the Unicorn. It's available everywhere. We'll link to the websites, et cetera, in the show notes. And until next time, thank you, William. Thank you, Carrie. Well, William's always got so many insights. If you want more, I've got show notes for you, and I've also got transcripts. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 617, where you can find everything for free. Speaking of free, if you find yourself a little bit overwhelmed or you think, hey, I can just do better, I want to optimize my time, check out my brand new free guide, 42 Things You Can Say No To in 2024. If you think about it, it'll free up over 100 hours of your time. That's four days worth of time chronologically. Also, if you look at it from a work week perspective, it gives you back two and a half weeks of your life. Just free, like absolutely do whatever you want. So to get the guide, visit the link in the description of this episode or visit kerryneuhoff.com slash 2024. And make sure you check out 10 by 10. I love what they're doing. They've got a free personalized quiz for you, free resources for your church, so you can reorient the faith of the next generation. Go to tenx10.org. That's 10by10.org to learn more. Well, we got a killer series to kick off 2024. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. That way you'll never miss an episode. We're going to talk Talk about church trends for the month of January. And I've got JP Pocluda, Gabriel McCullough, David Kinneman, Ryan Burge, Brady Shearer, John Mark Comer, and a whole lot more. But also coming up, hey, we're going to bring you a great episode next week. Jenny Catron is back on the podcast. And here's an excerpt from that. But yeah. knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And what would someone who is listening to this, what might they do differently? Yeah, I think that's that's huge and that's big because they're, I mean, Sadly, there are a lot of leaders in that. And, you know, in the situation there yeah. was, I knew something was off. I just didn't know what, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, again, I would have quelled my distracted busyness and paid more attention to that little bit of inkling that I had that, you know, call it discernment, got whatever you want to call it. 
because there were mechanisms I could have gone, you know, see, so I'm, I'm, uh, executive director number two in the organization, so to speak. I could have had tried to have a more uh, deliberate conversation with that senior leader. I don't know how fruitful that would have been because, like I said earlier, we had had a few like places where we were sparring a little bit on some things. Mm-hmm. So, but then my next step would have been to reach out to an elder or two and say, "Hey, you know, how are your conversations going? Here's." I, here's some things I'm discerning. I can't quite pinpoint anything specific. So that's next time on the podcast. We are going to talk about subtle signs a toxic culture is developing, how to cast vision for the future when you can't see ahead, and how to create cultural values for your church or organization. And finally, hey, I got one more free thing for you. I would love for you to check out my free newsletter. It comes out every Friday. I feature the most fascinating and curious content about faith, culture, trends, and a whole lot more. It's just stuff that I find really interesting, and it's not all from the church space. Basically, I think it can make you into a better leader. Join the about 100,000 leaders who get it every single Friday. Go to ontherisenewsletter.com. You can sign up for free. I'd just love to get into your corner on that one. Man, thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I know you pay not with money, but with time for this. And uh, we try to make the best use of it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I hope it helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing.